I, I just I didn't want to buy a new pair that soon, and I also I didn't want to deal with the process of going and waiting for them to be fixed and paying that price. And so I thought, okay, I don't need to do all that. I can just super glue them, and it'll work just fine. Has anyone done done something like that? So, yeah, because we settled for the quick fix, and if I'm going to be honest with you, it worked. But after like a couple days, they fell back apart. Um, because I got lazy, and I didn't want to pay the price, and uh, it was going to be too much work. So I settled for the quick fix, and it worked for a little while, but they eventually went back to being broken. And so there's a lot of truth wrapped up in that small analogy, and we're going to talk about it this morning, and I'm excited. I'm really excited about what God has for us, and I believe that he has something specifically for you. So as we jump into it, nudge someone next to you and say, let's get it. All right. So, if you brought a Bible, uh, you can turn with me to John chapter 4, and if not, it'll be on the screen, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, But John chapter 4, we're going to jump right away into verse 1. I'm going to kind of share a story with you, and I want us to get the full context of that story, so we're going to jump right away in verse 1. And it says, in John 4, 1, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And if you are familiar with the Bible... Uh, you know that Jesus had a disciple, John. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about this guy, John, whose nickname was the Baptist, John the Baptist. And so if you're Jesus and you're baptizing more people than the dude whose nickname is the Baptist, you're doing pretty good. And so he was gaining influence and popularity and people were starting to notice, especially the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were like the religious teachers of that time. And so they were starting to notice And word was starting to spread. These religious rumors were starting to spread about what Jesus was doing. And uh, people were starting to notice. And then it continues in verse 2. It says, Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So the religious rumors weren't all that accurate. Uh, But when has that ever stopped religious people from talking? Right? When has the truth ever gotten in the way from religious people from spreading church gossip. And unfortunately, at times, we can be more like the Pharisees than we can be like Jesus. But Jesus was gaining traction and popularity in this area. And uh, you would think that if I were Jesus, okay, if if you're Jesus and you're gaining popularity and gaining traction, you would use this to capitalize on the moment. Like, okay, people are starting to notice. Now's a good time to get my name out there and let everyone know, hey, uh, I am the savior of the world, I'm the Messiah. And so if I'm working with Jesus, I would think, okay, Jesus, you're trending. So now's a good time that you jump on Ellen and we get your name out there. And, uh, you know, your Twitter's verified. And so we need to spread your name to tell everyone to hashtag Jesus because we want you to gain this popularity. But that's not what he does. And and it's strange when we continue, and it says in verse 3, so when he heard what they were saying, Uh, He left Judea. Judea was the base of operations that he was doing his ministry in the south. And he went back once more to Galilee, which was his hometown in the north. And uh, that's strange because if he was gaining popularity, you would think he would stay in that area. But it's even stranger what it says in the next verse. And it said, now he had to go through Samaria. And two things stand out to me that's strange in that. And the first one is that it said that he had to go. And you would think that if Jesus went anywhere, it would be because he chose to. You know, being the CEO of the entire universe and all, I would think that he 
made his own hours and wrote his own itinerary. So the fact that it said that he had to go really surprises me. But then it said that he had to go through Samaria. And that brings it to a whole nother level because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And Jewish people hated Samaritan people. And Samaritan people hated Jewish people. And it was this conflict that had been growing for centuries. It wasn't like last year they get mad at each other. You know, your team beat my team and now we're not talking. It was decades and centuries of racial and ethnic tension that had been developing and growing between these two groups of people. So much so that most Jewish people, if they had to go from Judea to Galilee like Jesus was doing, they would go around Samaria. And it was a much longer route because... Uh, Judea was in the north, Galilee was, or Judea was in the south, Galilee was in the north, and Samaria was right in the middle. So most Jewish people, they would actually take the scenic route, walk along, uh, around Samaria in order to avoid possibly coming in contact with any Samaritan person. But it said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And here's why. Because Jesus will always move away from religious drama and move towards the needs of hurting people. He'll always go out of his way to find and minister to those that others will go out of their way to try and avoid. Jesus had to go through Samaria. And there was this time my my grandpa told me a story, as grandpas often do, of this young woman that he met one time and uh, her experience with church. And it was, it was this young lady who, uh, she wasn't going to church for a while, um, but her life had gotten so broken, she, she felt so worthless that she knew she needed God. And so she didn't care what people thought, and she went to church anyway. And uh, she was a little embarrassed because the church that she went to, she was, she was from a small town, the only church that she knew to go to was the one in her hometown that she had grown up going to. And she knew they were a little traditional, it was a smaller church, they were traditional and they liked to dress up, and she didn't have any church clothes, but she went anyway because she was desperate. And her shirt was probably a little too revealing, and her shorts were probably a little too short, but she didn't care what people thought. And so she went to church, and she enjoyed it. She liked the service, and it was a small enough church that afterwards the pastor would shake everyone's hand. And so uh, after the service, she was leaving, and she was shaking the pastor's hand. And he said to her, he said, Young lady, the next time you come to this church... You need to pray and ask God about what you should wear to this church. And so the next time you come back, if you come back at all, pray and ask God about what you need to wear to this church. And so she left. She was embarrassed. But the next week she came back. She, I mean, she enjoyed the message and she liked the singing. So she came back and the pastor was mortified when he saw that she was wearing the same type of clothes. Shirt a little too revealing, shorts a little too short. And after the service, he decided, okay, I'm going to be a little bit more straightforward with her. Maybe she didn't get the message. And so afterwards, when she approached him, he said, young lady, I thought I told you that the next time you came here, you needed to pray and ask God about what you should wear when you come to this church. And she said, oh, I did. And he said, you did? And she said, yep, I I prayed. And, And the pastor said, well, what did God say? And she said, well, I asked God about what I should wear when I came to this church. And... God said, I don't know what you should wear to that church because I've never been there. <laughs> you see, God will never stay someplace for very long where, where people are more concerned about keeping people out than they are about bringing people in. And that's, at this point in history, that's what the Pharisees were so known for. 
And I'm sure their hearts started out in the right place, but at, at some point along the line, they developed this little club that was more concerned about arguing about God than they were about experiencing God and about sharing the love of God with other people. And so Jesus had enough. He said, I'm out. I got more important things to do. You guys can argue all day long about who's baptizing more people, me or John. Y'all can debate, but I'm out of here. I got work to do. I got, I got someone to meet with. I got, I got stuff I got to do. And so if you look at the Bible, you see Jesus is always moving away from religious drama and moving toward the needs of hurting people. So I'm curious, who's so important that, that Jesus would go to Samaria? I mean, it's Samaria. It's literally the worst place. No Jewish person would ever go there. And, and so I'm curious, and <clears throat> I can just imagine Peter when Jesus said, all right, pack up, guys, we're, we're going to Samaria. Because Peter was the disciple that was always sticking his foot in his mouth, and I can kind of relate to that, so I appreciate learning from Peter. But I just imagine Peter saying, hold on, wait, 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 wait a second, which area? And Jesus is like, no, no, not some area. Samaria. <laughs> See, I've, <clears throat> I've only been a dad a couple years, so I'm still perfecting the dad joke thing. But Jesus says, no, we're going to Samaria. We got someone we got to meet with. And so if I'm a disciple, I'm trying to figure it out. Like, why are we going to Samaria? Who is so important that we got to go to Samaria? Are we, are we meeting with, like, the executives of Disney? Are we developing plans for a Christian theme park that we're going to invite all the people to come and meet Jesus? Or are we meeting with Jay-Z? Are we going to develop a Christian record label and we're going to get the word out to all of Palestine through the music industry? What are we doing? Why are we going to Samaria? Who are we going to meet with in Samaria? In verse 5, it tells us, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, which it was an important landmark, but it was also a functioning well at that time. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well, and it was about noon. And that's an important detail we'll get to in a minute. But Jesus came, and he sat at the well, and he waited for someone. And we're going to find out in the next verse who he waited for. And what follows is the longest recorded conversation in the Bible between Jesus and any other person. It's crazy. And so who's Jesus meeting with? Next verse. Next verse. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now any Jewish person reading this would have been mortified for a couple different reasons. First, is that she was a woman. You see, Jewish men didn't speak to women because they weren't worth it. You don't speak to a woman. And a Samaritan woman on top of it? I mean, that's literally unfathomable. That, that never happens. That wouldn't happen. And, you know, when we think of Samaritan, we think of the Good Samaritan. You've heard the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, you don't even need to be a Christian to hear about the Good Samaritan. I'll, I'll hear that on the news. You know, the Good Samaritan helps so-and-so with whatever. And so we just, we associate Samaritan with the story of the Good Samaritan, but to a Jewish person, that's a contradiction in terminology. That doesn't make sense. Good Samaritan, no one says that. It's like, that's like saying you saw a good Twilight movie. It just doesn't connect, right? So no one's, nobody says that. Nobody says that. And so Good Samaritan, what are you talking about? And so here is Jesus talking to someone that most Jewish men wouldn't even look at. I mean, most Jewish rabbis weren't even permitted to look women in the eyes. And, and here's Jesus, and he says to her, Will you give me a drink? 
In verse 8, the, the, the disciples weren't around. They got tired of waiting, so they went to go get five guys. And in verse 9, the woman responds to Jesus. The Samaritan said, you are a Jew. And for whatever reason, I read this, and I picture her with attitude. And so it's just more fun for me, I guess. She said, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In other words, you people don't talk to us unless you want something, just like all men. You don't talk to us unless you want something. Want me to get you some water? I don't even know you, right? What do you want from me? And we're going to find out in a few moments why she was so cautious in this way, because all her life had been about people taking from her. And when your life has been about people taking from you and taking from you and you're let down and disappointed, you begin to just question people's motives and you associate God with everyone else that he's the taker. And when all you hear about Jesus is what he wants from you, you miss the point that anytime God asks something from you, it's not because he needs it, he's God. It's because he has something better for you. And that's the case here with Jesus. Check back in at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, Jesus is saying, woman, I'm not that thirsty for water. If it was that bad, I could reach behind your ear and pull out a water bottle. That's not the point. But she couldn't receive it. She still doesn't get it. And so in verse 11, she snaps back. Sir, the woman, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Now, anytime you start a conversation off with God by saying, you have nothing, you're wrong. Just FYI. The disciples tried doing that once when they needed to feed a large crowd and they approached Jesus and said, uh, you, you don't have anything to feed these people with. And Jesus said, just go get me that kid's lunch. I'll split up his PB&J and his Go-Gurt and I'll make sure everyone gets enough and gets to take home a doggy bag. Because when you have Jesus, you have everything you've ever needed. But this woman didn't know that and she couldn't see that yet. She was focused on the externals. You don't have a bucket. You don't have anything to draw water with. You you forgot your bucket at home, and now you're asking me for help. All she could see was the bucket. And so this woman, she comes to the well at noon, and I mentioned I would uh, talk about that. It was important. See, she went to the well at noon because she didn't want to be bothered, because no one went to the well at noon. Do you know how hot it was at Jacob's well? It's in the middle of the desert, no shade. If you needed water, you went before the sun came up or after the sun went down, but you didn't go at noon. If you went at dawn or at dusk, it'd be crowded, but if you went at noon, you would know that you, you wouldn't be bothered. And so I almost feel for this woman because she takes every possible measure to avoid bumping into anyone, and she ends up meeting the God and doesn't even know it. And so I get now why in verse 11 she has attitude. Could you imagine going to Walmart at 11 p.m. because you don't want to bump into anybody you know, and you end up bumping into this random dude who says, hey, uh, I forgot my shopping cart. Can you carry my groceries? Right? I'd be ticked off too. Verse 11 would read something a little different. It'd say, sir, you have no shopping cart, and your, laundry and your shopping list is long. Where are you going to put all these groceries? So I get it. This woman comes to the well with her bucket, and she's not looking for a God encounter. She's not looking for her life to be changed. And here's this dude chilling by the well with his sandals kicked off, saying he's got some better water for her. And this whole time, all she's thinking is, you don't even have a bucket. And in verse 12, by now, she's got her hand on her hip. 
Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his livestock? (laughs) And he answered her, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who comes to this well, it'll satisfy for a minute. But in verse 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the the water I give them will be in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus is saying, you're so focused on what's around you that you're missing what I want to do in you. She went to the well with her bucket, and while doing so, she met a well who didn't need a bucket. (laughs) Right? I mean, Jesus could have said, woman, you don't need a bucket when you're the well. How genius is Jesus? He goes to the well, and she meets a well. He's using the well as an illustration You know, who's this woman that she's so important that God would wait on? Who are you and who am I that God would wait on us? And all the while, we're just focused on the bucket. We just just need a better bucket. Maybe if I get a new bucket, I won't be thirsty again. Maybe if I get a better man. Maybe if I get a new wife. You know, maybe, maybe, oh, I forgot to set my buckets out. Maybe if I, maybe if I get a new boyfriend, maybe then I'll feel loved right? Would that, would that make me happy? Then would I be satisfied? If I have sex with you, then will I feel loved? But that doesn't work. So maybe, maybe if I get this bucket, maybe if I clean up my life, maybe if I, maybe if I volunteer, maybe if I give to charity, maybe if I serve more, maybe, maybe if I make a New Year's resolution, resolution, maybe, maybe then I'll feel loved, but that doesn't work. So maybe, maybe I need a bigger bucket. Maybe, maybe if I get more stuff. Maybe if I buy a bigger house. Maybe if I buy that boat. Maybe if I make more money. Maybe if I have another kid, my marriage will work. Maybe, maybe if I have more stuff, but that ultimately doesn't work. Maybe, maybe if I blend in with everyone around me. Maybe if I do what everyone around me is doing. Maybe if I blend in with society. Maybe if I give in then I'll be happy, but that doesn't work. So maybe I need a smaller bucket. Maybe I have too much. Maybe, maybe if I move and I get rid of everything that reminds me of my past, maybe then I'll be satisfied and I won't remember the pain I experienced. Maybe if I get a, a, a new shiny bucket, maybe if I get a trendy bucket, maybe if I tan, maybe if I work out, maybe if I get that surgery, maybe if I whiten up my teeth, maybe if I do this, maybe if I alter my appearance, maybe then I'll be happy. And God's saying, woman, it's not about the bucket. How many buckets are you going to go through before you realize that the reason you're not satisfied is not because you need a different bucket. It's because you're drawing from the wrong well. You're drawing from the wrong well because just like the glasses, you you focus on the quick fix. You focus on satisfying what will last for a short while. But when we focus on the bucket, we realize that it doesn't matter what bucket you drink from, you'll still be thirsty if you're drawing from the wrong well. So Jesus sits by the well and he gives this woman a product comparison. You remember those old commercials? I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. Remember that? A Mac gets on the PC and Jesus is saying, I'm a Mac, woman. I, I can offer what they can't offer. You come to this well every day and you're still thirsty. Why don't you try what I have to offer? We read in the next verse, 
and 15, it says, Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Ah, she finally gets it. Not quite. So that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still thinking about the bucket. Oh, Jesus got some magic water. Let me get in on some of that. And at this point, Jesus is just kind of done doing this dance with her. And so he cuts right to the chase. And Jesus tends to do this in our lives. He takes us deeper and we think we understand, but he, he takes us to that point deep inside that we've tried to hide and push out. And, and he hits us in that raw moment. And he says, go, call your husband and come back. So we're about to see the situation. Why she went to the well at noon, it's about to get complicated. She tells him in verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. You can see, because she, she's trying to hide something. That's why she went to the well at noon, but Jesus doesn't let it stay there. And he brings up something she's trying to hide so that he can give her something she really needs. And, and she doesn't, he doesn't give her what she hopes for, which is water from Jacob's well, so that he can give her her real need, which is a well inside of her. And oftentimes Jesus will do that. He won't give you what you hope for so that he can give you what you really need. In verse 18, he spells it out. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And so Jesus sits by this well and said, you've been focusing on the bucket. You've been focusing on the bucket. You've drawn from the wrong well. Five husbands shacking up with guy number six now, and you're still not satisfied. After all that, I can tell you're still not satisfied. And maybe God's saying to someone here this morning, you're still not satisfied. Religious, but still not satisfied. Got the job, got the promotion, still not satisfied. Finally got that ring on your finger, still not satisfied. Got the bigger house, making the money, got the boat, still not satisfied. Finally had your baby, still not satisfied. Why aren't we satisfied? And Jesus says, it's because you're drawing from the wrong well. You're drawing from the wrong well, trying to fix glasses with super glue. And eventually, although it works for a little while, it becomes broken again. And what the woman does next reveals a lot about what we tend to do when it gets a little too real and too personal for us. Jesus strikes a nerve that we weren't expecting him to hit, and, and this reveals what we tend to do. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. And it seems random, because what she's doing is she's deflecting. Jesus got a little too deep, a little too real, and she doesn't want to or know how to handle it, and so she's deflecting. She tries turning the conversation. And that's what we tend to do when we show up. We don't expect God to show up in our lives. We don't expect him to reach our hearts. And, and it gets a little too real. We, we didn't want to have to resurface that junk in our past. And so we deflect. Well, I don't think we should go to this church because they don't sing the songs I like. Or, you know, this isn't the church for us because they focus too much on outreach or they don't focus enough on outreach. This, this isn't the church for us. I don't like their carpet. This isn't, this isn't the church for us. Or maybe we should be Baptist. Maybe we should be Protestant. Maybe, maybe we should be Catholic. This isn't the church for us. And we deflect. We change the subject. We push it off. We, we deflect. And 
God continues, Jesus continues, he says, woman, and I love that we never know her name because this is the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and someone else in the Bible and we don't know her name. And I think it's because then we can all place ourselves in the story. We're all the woman at the well. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And, and this is awesome to me because he just calls it out. Look, I know you're deflecting. I know it's not comfortable. And, and you're trying to pass off this religious talk like you care or like it matters. But let me tell you, I've been to heaven. You're all going to be a little surprised when you find out who actually gets in and who doesn't because you're all just guessing. You're all wrong. And in verse 22, he says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God says, I've had it with your pretend religion. I've had it with these fake lives. I don't want someone who will honor me with their lips if their hearts are far from me. I want a true worshiper, someone who will worship me in spirit and in truth. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to have all the answers. You just need to be honest. I just want you to admit your need for me. I just want you to recognize your need for me. Let me in. Stop chasing other men. Stop chasing other things. Stop pursuing that quick fix. Stop drawing from the wrong well. And here we are thinking we're the ones seeking God, and it turns out all this time he's the one seeking us. He came to the well for you. The God of the universe came to earth. He had to come to earth for you. And in verse 24, it says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's still focusing on the bucket. And Jesus is like, And in verse 26, he declares, and then Jesus said, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I'm the one. I'm the well. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the one you've been searching for your whole life. You just didn't know where to look. I'm the one. God's saying to someone this morning, I'm the one. I'm the well. What your five other husbands couldn't give you, I can give you. What a lifetime of pursuing pleasure couldn't satisfy, I can. I'm the one. That peace you were looking for when you're accumulating wealth, I got it. I'm the well. I am peace. I am joy. I am love. When you draw from me, you get it all. Everything you've ever needed. I'm the one. Verse 27 just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him speaking with a woman. But when no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And then, I love this, in verse 28, then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? See, she doesn't have all the answers, and she hasn't fixed her life yet but she had enough faith to take that first step and leave her bucket. And a strange thing happens in the next verse because sometimes it seems like God uses the most unlikely people 
And so don't ever think that God could never use your life or your kids' lives, no matter how far gone it seems. And in verse 30, it says, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. She came to a well. She met a well. And here's the best part. She became a well. And that's why she didn't need the bucket anymore. She left the bucket. And so, this morning as we wrap up, the whole point to this message is to leave your bucket. Stop chasing the quick fix. And so if you're in here this morning, just you close your eyes with me. If you're in here this morning and you know that you are focusing on the bucket, maybe I need a better bucket, maybe, maybe if I do this, maybe if I pursue that, maybe if I add this into my life, maybe if I take this away, maybe, maybe if I join this, or maybe if I get that, you're focusing on the bucket. If that's you this morning, drawing from the wrong well, still thirsty, still not satisfied. I just want you to real quick shoot your hand up. Just, just say, man, I'm not satisfied. Thank you. I see those hands all over. Still not satisfied. I want to pray for you real quick. Just join with me as I pray. God, I, I, uh, I recognize my need for you. Um, maybe not even before today. I, I didn't realize that all this searching, I didn't realize I was drawn from the wrong well. I was looking at the surface thinking I needed a different bucket. And I even realized that I was drawn from the wrong well. So God, I, I just I pray you would come in to my life and 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 change my heart. That I would draw from you this morning. And I, I pray that you would come in to my life and fill me with that living water, that eternal life. And uh, what I want to do now is, if I could everyone just stand up with me, and we're going to do something uh, practical that, I, I think practical application is powerful, especially when it pertains to a story in the Bible, and so I just, I love that, and it, it, it's uh, motivating to me. And so what we're going to do, if I could have our prayer partners come forward, that'd be sweet, and the woman in verse 29 28 and 29, she left her bucket and she went forward with what God had for her. And so what I want us to do this morning is do just that. You recognize you've been drawing from the wrong well. You focus on the bucket. And uh, this morning, we're going to leave that behind. And so uh, symbolically, coming out of your seat, coming forward, that's leaving your bucket and drawing to Jesus. So uh, as we jump into that just for a few moments, I want you to do that. If, if you feel like that's the next step for you, you need to leave the bucket behind. You know that you've been focusing on that surface thing, that quick fix, drawing from the wrong well. I want you to feel free to leave the bucket behind and go after Jesus this morning.